Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Greenlight Guru is committed to improving the quality of life, and now we're ready to improve the quality of education and training in the medical device industry. Greenlight Guru Academy is a comprehensive training resource for anyone looking to learn industry best practices with actionable training from industry experts. You'll get on-demand courses that allow you to move at your own pace on topics related to quality and regulatory product development, design controls, risk management, doc control. Honestly, it's too many to fit into a short ad. So if you're ready to level up your medical device education, visit greenlight.guru forward slash academy. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Etienne Nichols, and I'm the host of today's episode. In today's episode, we spoke with Gary Sainer on the topic of unique device identification, or as it's commonly known as UDI. UDI. Gary has been helping companies achieve UDI compliance on a global scale for years. He's also considered to be a thought leader in this part of the industry. Gary is the Senior Manager of Information Solutions for Life Sciences at ReedTech, and he is a recognized authority within the life sciences community on SPL, FDA Electronic Drug Registration and Listing, that's E-D-R-L, for those of you with uh, interested in acronyms. And he's also a leader and recognized authority on medical device UDI compliance. I also want to mention that we've been working with Gary to create the ultimate guide to UDI. This is a free resource for you, our listeners. So be sure and check out the show notes to find out where you can access this guide. We covered a lot of ground in this episode. We talked about things like what is the current state of UDI in the US, gave a brief history and current deadlines. What is the current state of UDI in the EU? And what are the differences for UDI for EU versus US? We also talked about the four quadrants of UDI that companies need to be aware of. So pay attention for that. And we talked about much more. Seriously, if we need to do another episode with Gary, please email me and let us know. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Gary Sainer on unique device identification. I'm excited to be with Gary Sainer today. He's from Retech, and we're going to be talking about UDI, unique device identifiers. And some people call it unique device identification, but both with the FDA and the EU, we'll try to cover a lot of ground here. So we'll just go ahead and get started. Gary, I don't know, uh, how are you doing today, by the way? <laughs> oh, really good today. Trying to keep up on the various uh, changes. So we'll touch on those later. You know, isn't yeah. it? I thought we had this figured out like three or so years ago, and <laughs> it keeps changing on us. Literally, I there's things to share from like, you know, literally a week ago. So there's a lot to talk about and, and keep fresh, uh, you know, up to date with the info. Yeah, well, we'll talk about those those dates here in a little bit here, but I also want to talk about maybe some of the complexities regarding UDI. But before we get into that, maybe let's just go ahead and talk about one in particular, because the US FDA Class 1 UDI deadline is coming up. What should companies, if they're those Class 1 companies, that date has been moving, what should they be thinking about and what should they be doing right now? Yeah, it, this is uh, starting to cry woof, and then now you don't believe it anymore. <laughs> But this is like the third to fourth date that's been set out by the FDA. And there's some history on that. There's, there's, we understand what the FDA has been challenged with in coming up with that. Um, originally, class ones were due back in uh, 2018. And then prior to that class one deadline, the FDA had a lot of feedback from industry about the previous classes 
of devices that were already uh, sent in. So the class threes and twos, downstream users started to search that data, look at it, and, and implement it in various uh, downstream systems. And there was a lot of feedback that said some of these fields are they're not correct or they're not complete. There were some fields that were marked optional, and industry kind of took that as a, as a free opportunity not to submit anything, when really the FDA kind of intended that to be conditional. So, you know, if you have it, please submit it sort of thing. So anyway, the FDA extended the deadline from 2018 out to 2020 and asked companies to take that additional time, go back, clean up the data that they had already submitted and prepare high quality data for class ones. And then as you know, 2020 hit and COVID <laughs> was uh, interrupting all of our processes, right? And, and timing. So um, the FDA responded to that. Uh, they had internal staff that was dedicated to you know, responding to the COVID um, and were diverted. Uh, there was also a realization that industry um, had, you know, other issues, you know, had remote users. They, you know, people weren't present anymore uh, in the office and, and whole infrastructure had changed. So they pointed that COVID issue as pushing it, uh, the uh, date back again from 2020 to 2022. Now, September of this year, September 2022, we have this class one deadline. And just like a week or so ago, back in July 25th, there's a guidance document came out that I believe I think you were referring to. And that had two important you know, bits of information. One is that the September deadline remains in place for complying with class one labeling and if a, it's applicable, direct marking. So that did not move. So September 24th of this year for uh, those particular uh, attributes. But they did extend the date for the class one good ID submissions. So that is now December 8th of this year, 2022. They moved it out 75 days. And the reasoning for that was they felt they were, I guess, late <laughs> in advising industry of a particular exemption for good ID submission. Now this particular exemption has a little bit of history. It went back to October of last year where the FDA put a proposed draft guidance out. And basically said, if your class one is 510K exempt, and most are, and you only sell to the retail over-the-counter market, then, with a little bit of exceptions, you, you do not have to submit a good ID record. Uh, so they basically took the submission aspect out. And that draft guidance was in place. Industry knew about it. But they were in limbo. They really couldn't depend on that and, and point to that as a legal uh, exemption. It was it was draft, um, non non binding, and time marched on, and and literally <laughs> up to a couple weeks ago. Here we are, about you know two weeks before September twenty four, or two months before September twenty four, and finally the FDA responded and with a final guidance that confirmed that you know exemption. So if you do have uh, class one five ten k exempt and retail sale only then you don't have to submit a good ID record. Uh, there's a couple exceptions, you know, built into that. So I think the FDA felt that, you know, what, we're kind of late <laughs> in responding because some companies had held back, uh, not knowing what to do. Uh, they might have tens of thousands of records that would be in play here. So, you know, either to start 
preparation and, you know, go ahead and submit those records or, you know, cross your fingers and hope to die that, you know, the FDA is going to uh, come through with some kind of, uh, you know, confirmed. So yeah. Um, anyway, that, that's the quick little story on, on that guidance. So we're looking at December 8th of this year for uh, good ID submissions and September 24th for the other labeling uh, document uh, or direct marking and any document updates and quality management systems. By the way, there's there's some UDI touch points inside uh, all those documents, SOPs and so on, and reports and so on. There has to be provisions to accommodate UDI where, where it's applicable. So yeah. that's a little bit of a long answer, but <laughs> I love it it's where we're at when that guidance. Yeah, the detail is important. So there's a couple of things you mentioned there, but I want to, before we get too far away from this, when we talk about these delays, you know, September 24th is a, is a date that is forever ingrained in my mind, because when I was working direct marking, that was our drop dead date that we had to make it to. So anyway, that September 24th date, you know, things get pushed. It seems like that's kind of the history of UDI. But why is that? And I wonder if maybe you can speak to some of the challenges that manufacturers have faced. Uh, maybe are there certain pitfalls that have sort of prevented this actually from being rolled out easily? Anything come to mind when you hear that question? Yeah, there's um, a, a number of issues, uh, not only, and, and it's a brand new requirement. So uh, we already had in place in the FDA, the establishment registration and a product listing. And that still remains in place, uh, no change. But what the FDA FDA did was layered on top of that, this UDI requirement. And, and there's four quadrants that we like to talk about. One is uh, identifying their product. So putting UDI on, on product label and packaging. And then there's a subset of products that are reprocessed and reused. Uh, they need to have direct marking uh, and that can be a technical challenge. Sometimes you have to go back and redesign your manufacturing process. Some companies in, engage a laser etching or chemical etching or something. Or, But anyway, it, it takes a design effort uh, in many cases and then testing to see if everything is still safe and, and effective after applying you know, that particular mark. The third quadrant is this uh, reporting to the FDA. Uh, there's a lot of attributes um, 57 attributes that need to be reported. And this is a, a challenge in that this particular data set has never really been assembled before. So there's no precedent for this. And when we talk to uh, manufacturers, you know, they find, you know, bits and <laughs> bits of data throughout the countryside here. And, you know, in disparate uh, systems, maybe labeling systems over in uh, master data management or product lifecycle management, it's just kind of, you know, scattered about. So collecting that information, finding it, collecting it, and then determining, is this a full set? And many times there, there are some fields that are omitted. You have to go search for those. The other issue is sometimes you find a data and it's not accurate or it hasn't been touched for a while. It's not current. You know, it's obsolete. There's issues with formatting. You know, sometimes the formatting of that data that's held for internal processes is not the format that actually gets submitted. To, to the FDA. So there has to be some transformation done. And then unfortunately, <laughs> you know, it continues where this is not a one-time activity and then it's done. There needs to be maintenance and making sure that the content uh, is updated um, in the event there's changes. So making sure there's data owners uh, and there's some stewardship uh, in, in trying to find these values. And, you know, the original data owner might have left the company by now 
and <laughs> the information might have been on their laptop, which is now re, you know repurposed. So it's a little bit of a an issue in, in working with the data. Now, that's a little bit of discussion about the actual collection of data. But another challenge then is how do you actually submit that data to the FDA? And there's two basic options. One option is to put a manual entry uh, approach in place and key data in. Uh, the other option is to submit the data electronically and use something called the electronic submission gateway into the FDA. And that's the only two methods. So when you think about you know, what's best for your company, manual entry, there's some established inaccuracies when you transcribe data and simply type it in. So you know, some companies um, uh, go ahead and have a quality control check so of the data that was actually submitted. So there is uh, sometimes a perception that you know this is a, a free option to go with a manual entry. Uh, and what is not under consideration is there's actual time and effort um, to make the data entry, check it, and then in, in the course of uh, setting that up, you, you might have to have some consultant information about training and education. So those particular items all come into play when you, when you think about the manual entry option. It's, it's a lot of um, what I would call hidden cost. You, you know, you think it's yeah. free, um, but you know, surprisingly, there, there, you know, there's actual direct costs. Quite, and then quite. your other option is if you go to a electronic uh, submission, you know, the, there's options there where you can either build internally a system, you can buy a system and have it installed, or you can rent a system. And uh, we here at Retech actually you know, are, are the the third option there, where we provide a, a system already placed and and Available. So, it's basically Airbnb. You know, you move in and everything's furnished, ready to go. So that's cool. So, yeah. yeah, I had a question about that. So the manual entry, I assume that's just transcribing. You know, in my past, I saw Excel spreadsheets with all of this data for you know however many hundred products we had, and manually entering that into the FDA or the Access Good ID access mm -hmm. database. But the other option you're suggesting, the electronic option, is that building out a CSV of the existing information and uploading it to that third-party software, or how does that work exactly? Yeah, the, the electronics mission um, has to be done through a particular format that the FDA has um, approved and, and recognized. So rather than creating their own internal standard, the FDA has pointed to a standards developing organization. So this is an industry-wide company uh, organization, Health Level 7. And they have a specification referred to as structured product labeling. It happens to be an XML specification. And the, the FDA provided some guidance about how you capture all those fields, those 57 fields into this XML format. And, you know, understanding that, being technically savvy and, and figuring that out, it's a little bit of a challenge. I was actually uh, in this conversation with a company last week that had embarked on that on their own. And they made some very significant progress, but they were never able to uh, have a successful submission. And it, it all kind of went back to meeting the particular guidelines of building that XML file okay. and meeting the schema that's required. By the way, once you finally figure the, the build of that file out, there is uh, what is referred to as electronic submission gateway. 
This is an FDA portal to receive a lot of information. Um, it turns out that uh, CDRH pointed to this particular pathway to receive the data. So you'll need to set up a, you know, a gateway account. Now, one of the advantages of, of going with the rent model with a particular vendor is that that vendor has hopefully figured all that out and build a gateway. So, you know, that's all hidden. And really, you just need to supply raw data to that, that um, uh, rented system or many times referred to as software as a service, a SaaS model, where you simply subscribe to it and then deliver raw data. Internal yeah. uh, policies take care of, you know, packaging it and sending it. And, you know, there's a little bit of uh, nuance about making sure the acknowledgements that come back from CDRH, uh, there's three acknowledgements and making sure that they're all complete for every single record. We've, we've seen issues where sometimes the FDA does not respond, so it never gets published. And unless you're very vigilant <laughs> and, you know, keep down to the individual record, you'll never know it, you know, unless, you know, you have um, a good process to go back and check all that. So okay, it, it doesn't come with some challenges, but I would highly recommend that you find a, a vendor that's uh, experienced and, and capable in submitting that XML file. Okay. Makes sense. So you yeah. talked about the first, second, and third quadrant. You mentioned there were four. What's the fourth quadrant? The documentation SOPs? Go ahead. Yeah. So there are a number of points in the final rule. And off my top of my head, I think there's about six or so additional CFRs, Code of Federal Regulations, that are affected by UDI. So there's some requirements that a there, there's a policy requirement that a labeling person makes sure that UDI is, is properly administered and designed and placed on the label before that, that label design is released. So, you know, putting those procedures in place would uh, most likely be, be held inside a quality management system. There's other procedures about receiving complaints. So if a medical device company receives, you know, a complaint, hey, I don't like the color blue of your product. <laughs> And the UDI is, you know, one, two, three. There has to be provision to track that UDI one, two, three you know, with that complaint. Uh, and then if that becomes escalated to be an adverse event, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I was using your product and, and now I had this adverse event, um, you know, something broke and I was injured or whatever. Again, UDI needs to be tracked uh, if it's available. And then for recalls, again, you know, there needs to be some tracking uh, along the UDI. So, there's a various touch points for uh, the, the, you know, the documentation. It doesn't establish new documentation or policies. It really affects the reference to UDI, making sure that you have provisions for UDI uh, in the event that, you know, it's available. And we've seen, I don't know, you can go to the FDA. There's some warning letters where <laughs> now the inspectors are actually checking for this information that you know UDI was not properly handled. So you don't want to go down that road, you know, make make sure you're aware of some of these touch points. It's they're in the final rule or you know I'd be glad to share those, you know, in, in additional information or something like that. Uh, yeah. so that that's the good uh you know policy best practice there in, in the fourth quadrant. Okay, great. Now that makes sense. It's very comprehensive. So 
When you're talking about, well, we've been talking about the U.S., the, the FDA. That being said, though, the U- EU has a complicated UDI implementation schedule as well. Now, EUMDR is in place. Um, there's a requirement for uh, UDI in, in the EU. So recently, they announced some delays as well, though. Is it a similar situation? What should companies be doing or expecting in regards to EU? Yeah, now the timing for the EU is a, a quagmire, <laughs> to be honest with you. I mean, I have a set of, you know, timelines that I present, and I think I've redrawn it probably, you know, a dozen times so far. And to understand what the impact is, you have to understand a little bit about what happened in Europe. So the quick little history lesson is that the European Commission completely revamped the regulatory platform. So the full infrastructure is now changed from directives over to regulations. And now coming into play is a medical device regulation and a in vitro diagnostic regulation. And this is quite different than what happened in the US. In the US, all your approval process and establishing registration and, and product listing, that was untouched and, and remained in place. And UDI was simply a, a new requirement. Not so in Europe. UDI becomes one of the many things that a manufacturer has to learn and be you know, educated on and then respond to. Uh, and there was no grandfathering of products. So basically your whole portfolio now has to be reevaluated to the new regulations to see if they meet. And when you think about that, um, if you go back to the medical device class ones, which most of those are self-certified, you know, that was uh, May of 2021. So, there was a, a lump of activity there for companies to go through you know, their technical uh, evaluations, look at, they might've had to do some further evaluations and analysis and testing, but basically they had to come up with this self-certification and put their name on the declaration of conformance and say, yeah, we're, we're okay, we meet all the regulations. And that was a huge challenge. That was a big uh, challenge just for your class ones. And most recently in May of 2022, a similar deadline took place uh, for the in vitro diagnostics. So those now class A products that are self-certified, um, they as of the date of application in, in May, it, it was another you know uh, bundle of energy that had to be <laughs> you know put together and you know meet all that. Now, when you get beyond the class ones, and you start to get into class twos and threes, you know the two A's and B's and so on. And now you need to engage a notified body to evaluate your documentation. Just like products were not grandfathered into the new system, the notified bodies were not grandfathered into the new system. So there was a, a recertification, if you will, of the, the notified bodies to make sure that they were you know, qualified to you know, evaluate MDR and IVDR regulations. So there, there's a bottleneck. There's less notified bodies than before. And the level of effort is huge because, remember, it's the whole industry has to now be checked, all the devices. So this is producing a a real significant problem with engaging a notified body. So one of the things that you might highly recommend is that make sure you engage with a notified body that, first of all, (laughs) has made commitments to, uh, you know, review products under the MDR and IVDR as appropriate. 
um, and get on their list and start to collect your data according to the MDR so that when your, your schedule comes up in, in their uh, timing, you know, you're ready to go because there, there's some deadlines, legacy products with old certificates. And again, sometimes they expire over the course of time, but if you're able to uh, use them uh, without change, without a design change and the certificate's still valid, there's a deadline for those. So if it's a medical device, you have to May of 2024 to continue to place that legacy medical device on the market. And then a year later, May of 2025, uh, if you have an in vitro diagnostic certificate. So there's a deadline looming ahead where if you don't comply with the new regulations, you will not be able to put products on the market. I know the European Commission and industry is a little concerned about this because there's some responses that made made some changes in the regulations and timing and so on. The uh, uh, we'll see how that plays out, but many companies are working feverishly <laughs> to prepare for this because they know there's a cliff ahead and it's going to drop off and. And, and yeah. you have serious issue, you know, no revenue coming in because you can't sell product. So that's not good. You want to certainly avoid that. And uh, as well as patients, you know, patients in the industry would not have access to products, you know, when they need them. So it, it's uh, the, the shortfall is uh, certainly something to be avo- avoided at all costs. Now, there's a couple things that can be done right away. I would suggest the Unimed has three of the six modules up and running even now. So Udemed is this um, new database platform that handles all this data related to medical devices and in vitro diagnostics. The Udemed is to Europe as the uh, good ideas to FDA. Yeah, that's a good analogy, except the good ID here in the U.S. only handles UDI data. And that is directly corresponding to a single module in one of the, the six modules inside Udemet. So okay. there is a UDI medical device registration module. And you're right, you know, that's a, a nice, pretty tight uh, correlation. The other modules, there's another module for active registration. So if you're a stakeholder, like a manufacturer or system and procedure pack manufacturer provider, you know, those sort of things, you can register even now. In, in that module, that is up, you know, going back to December of 2020, it actually started. So you can do voluntary submissions of your company information and, and receive something called a single registration number. So an SRN is, is very critical in moving forward and identifies you in the system. And you can do that now. There, there's no charge for that. You can just, I highly recommend you start, you know, your pathway yeah. uh, with that first module. And then the second module is this UDI and, and device registration. That's also uh, voluntarily able to be used. It, it, it was open um, back in October of 2021. And I checked a couple of weeks ago. It has 96,000 records already in it. Okay. So it, it, people are making use of it. They're putting data in. And you can walk down that. And again, that, that's voluntary at this point. So question um, about that. Well, okay. well, well, right. So that. You, the FDA, you mentioned those 57 pieces of data and the different ways you can input those pieces of data. How, what does that look like for the EU and this specific module in the Udemed? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, I have bad news for you. 
<laughs> so you thought 57 was pretty tough for the U.S. The number's up around 111, 111 attributes for the EU. So basically, it's twice as many attributes you need to collect, and only a few of them are, are able to be used. The other complication is the, the structure of that data is quite di- different than the FDA. So the FDA had a single record model, if you will. So your reference to a spreadsheet is very uh, common. You know, you had a single row in there that had particular device identifier on it. And a lot of these other attributes, you know, is it a prescription? Yes, no. What's the MRI condition? You know, what's the packaging level and so on. When you go over to the EU, the European Commission rolled out a two-level type of data structure. And I think industry was caught by surprise. They weren't sure what this was going to be, or in many cases, they're still trying to figure out the implications. But there's a concept of a device identifier at the device level. But then the European Commission rolled out this grouping concept referred to as a basic UDI-DI. So the basic UDI-DI it's a real mouthful. <laughs> People use a, a, a little, uh, you know, shortcut for it. They refer to it as buddy. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll use a I'll term buddy. <laughs> and uh, it's not very friendly, believe me, but it's buddy. <laughs> I, so, I, so I have a question about the buddy and maybe you can correct me. Someone, I heard someone say the the buddy or the, the B-U-D-I-D is similar to the FDA product code um, for the EU. But, but where am I missing the mark when it comes to that? Yeah. So the buddy can be broader than a product code. So a product code would identify, you know, very specifically um, uh, a scalpel, for example. Um, And a buddy can be a little bit broader. Um, It it points back to a grouping that uh, has some parameters. So you have to have the same risk level, the same class, uh, the same certificate. and there's some other attributes, but it can be a broader uh, scope. For example, it might be a, I'm making this up, but let's say it's a stainless steel scalpel and also a, a plastic scalpel, uh, where in the U.S. you might have two different product codes. In, in, in a, again, conceptually, in the EU, you might have all, uh, both of those under you know, the same buddy. So you do have uh, all the issuing agencies, by the way, provide uh, specifications on how you create a buddy. Um, it, it does not appear on the label, but there's uh, some requirements about how you create it and report it uh, as a separate row in your in your spreadsheet. You know, now you have to create basically another tab, <laughs> a different sheet for all your buddies to be recorded because they have different characteristics. And then you need to relate them back together, you know, basically build the family. Okay. So one buddy might have... Uh, at least one, always one, or it might have a hundred, a thousand, you know, different uh, devices associated with it. So uh, is there a predetermined list of buddies already? And if you can't find one that that meets, how do you create one? Or is that, I don't want to get too far off in the weeds, but curious about that. So that's the other difference. When you talked about the FDA product code and tried, you know, was looking at that analogy. Um, The FDA established product codes and, you know, they define what the scope is and, you know, the definition and, and the, um, the identifier, you know, the three-letter uh, identifier. 
Not so with a buddy. A buddy is determined by the manufacturer and it's unique to their portfolio. Okay. So it's not across industry, not across, you know, if you had a buddy and I actually made the same product as you, I have to have a different buddy. Okay. So, you know, the analogy kind of breaks down when you look at some of the details there. Uh, So each manufacturer has to create their own buddy and put their devices inside that, that buddy. Um, There's some other uh, codes. um, And and again, this is one of the challenges. Uh, I just quickly mentioned it. The European Union has established something called a European medical device nomenclature. So that would be uh, a pretty good analogy to an FDA product code or uh, more accurately, what we uh, have used here in the U.S., the global medical device nomenclature, GMDN. Yeah. So the global medical device nomenclature is, is used in the U.S. and a lot of different other health authorities. European Union elected not to use that and create their own. So you would find, for example, a, a, a scalpel in, in the EMDN. So to answer your question, if you wanted to do some data mining inside Unimed, you could search for that EMDM code for a scalpel and find your product and my product. But both of those products would be associated with different buddies. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I know we're sort of running a little bit short on time. This has been really helpful. I do want, I have another question I want to get to, but I also want to plug something while we're at this point, because um, if you're listening to this, this episode, you, you could tell Gary has a lot of knowledge when it comes to UDI and we've only, you know, we're on the tip of the iceberg here. He is building out something called the ultimate guide to UDI. And, and, and we're kind of a joint effort building out that ultimate guide to UDI, where we talk about the FDA and the EU to a certain extent. So I'll put a link in the show notes to that. So if you want to go check that out, we'll have links as well to get a um, little bit more information from Gary as well. If you want get it, uh, want to get a hold of him directly as well to, with specific questions, because I, in my experience, when I was working UDI, I had very specific questions and, and I think everybody will. Okay, I'm excited about that uh, guide. Your team and and the other team members over here at Retech working together, putting that together. Um, I think it's going to be very helpful, uh, especially you know the, coming into uh, this particular topic. Um, and it does cover things um, generically, uh, basic education, and and there's specific information about the FDA. There's also some information about the EU and, and some other uh, health authorities. So uh, yeah, it I. I'm excited about rolling that out. But anyway, yeah. what was your question there? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say one other thing. We keep adding on to each other, but that's a free guide. So if you're interested, <laughs> definitely check out <laughs> right. the show notes. So, okay, my last question. There's other regional health authorities. It's you know, it's, We talk about FDA and EU as if they're the only ones sometimes, but there are other regional health authorities and they have current, maybe they have planned UDI requirements that haven't happened yet. What's your mm-hmm. suggestion or recommendation to manufacturers? Can a single global UDI management approach, could it help the bottom line if we look at these as a holistic, is it even possible? What are, you, what are your recommendations? Yeah. So we have found that with the FDA and the EU in place, the regulatory landscape typically uses one or the other as a precedent. So some of the other health authorities around the world will kind of base their policies on one or the other, uh, US or EU. That said, we have yet to see any really good harmonization. So sometimes the policies are pretty close. You read them and there's a lot of similarities. But 
we have yet to see a cookie cutter cutter where you know it's like what you have in place for the U.S. You know, we're going to do it the same here, or even what you have in the EU, just duplicate it here. So you can look at uh, South Korea, and, and they started to roll out their their requirements. Uh, actually, back in July of this year, they had their final wave for Class One, so they're well along the implementation process. China is also one of those countries that has UDI requirements. Uh, June of this year, they completed a second round. They did some high-risk Class Threes early on, and then the the rest of the Class Threes were due in June of this year. Uh, So they have yet to um, schedule the Class Twos and Ones. But in both those scenarios, South Korea and China, there's a lot of similarities with uh, either U.S. and EU, um, but they made very specific differences in their policy and also the data that they collect. And at the end, you're aware of this International Medical Device Regulatory Forum where there was some guidance put out um, and, you know, their, their regulators kind of sat around and said, okay, what's UDI and what are some good guidance and practices of what should be done? Um, and then, unfortunately, each implementation as it is implemented by a particular health authority deviates from, from the core guidance and they yeah. layer on some additional custom things. So it makes it very difficult. So when you start thinking about a global approach, you have to realize that even though it kind of sounds the same, hey, it's UDI. Uh, UDI for Australia is coming up or UDI for Saudi Arabia has a deadline in September of next year. And, oh, okay, well, I already did it for the U.S. I'll be good. Not true, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had this dream that there'd, there'd be this one big global database of UDI information. And I think others might have thought that initially, but it has not happened. Even the UDI databases are totally independent. The FDA Good ID has no connection with the European UDIMED, uh, and we don't see it happening anywhere else. So the policies are different. The, the data structures are different, and so it makes it very tough. Now, yeah. that said, there are systems, uh, and actually that's one of the activities here at Retech, is to take a very close look at each of these different health authorities, see where they are common, see where they are different, and build a, a single central database that is able to apply attributes as they are able to be reused to each of the different health authorities and and collect data and validate data per each of these independent uh, health authority business rules. So it is able to be done. Uh, We're doing it and, you know, have in place uh, US, uh, EU, uh, China, and South Korea, uh, and very far along in Australia and and, uh, or, or, uh, Saudi Arabia, I meant, and uh, working with the technical group down in uh, Australia. So it is able to be done. And there's significant advantages. When we talk to the clients, you know, they want to be able to have uh, governance of this data at, in, in a central repository, common reporting for each of the different regions, and you know, just have a, a master source of information and then be able to reuse it where possible 
have the same common interface alerts and messages and just be able to maintain the data elsewhere. The other point is that by going to a single system, usually that will be associated with electronic uh, submissions as well. So there are machine-to-machine submissions to each of those uh, for reasons that I mentioned. Uh, they're all different. So you know we, we built a different custom gateway for the FDA, EU, and different APIs for China and South Korea. But let a vendor take care of that, and, and the concept of a, is a data hub. So you have one particular data pipe coming, uh, sourcing the data into the to the system, and then let that you know a, a management system act as a a conduit and take care of uh, validation for each of the specific health authorities, and the gateway and the acknowledgements coming back. So it's able to be done, and I it has significant advantage over obviously manual submissions and co- trying to keep track of what's going on. But, you know, there are yeah. Yeah, anyway, significant advantages in that. that. That's fantastic. I mean, you mentioned the hidden costs. And I, I would hope that, you know, companies are starting to recognize those aren't hidden costs when you have somebody manually typing something in because you also have the risk of uh, mistyping because I know we've all fat fingered something. So, yeah, yeah. that's that's fantastic. I'm glad somebody that was actually going to be my next question. You know, how do we collect all this data in a uniform way for, uh, you know, across, you know, all the overlap and, and doing those things. So that's, that's really good. I'm glad you're doing that. We'll put a link in the show notes. So if you want, if anyone wants to look up, see how to find Gary, uh, how to find things that he's doing with retech and so forth. Um, you can tell Gary lives and breathes this, but he probably has a whole nother episode, but we've got a hard <laughs> stop. So uh, any right. last words, any recommendations you have for our listeners uh, before we close it down? I would highly encourage those to realize that time is short. And one of the takeaways that we have always walked away with, whether it be the U.S. or EU, China, South Korea, is that, you know, unbelievably uh, underestimated my time to to comply. And there's a number of things that go into that, learning the regulations, uh, because now they are different. You, You can't just simply cookie cut what you knew for the U.S., and the, many times the data is not as clean as uh, you hoped it would be. And there are some nuances when you go into China, South Korea, there's a local representation that, you know, this organization needs to be having a physical address in that country. So yeah. that comes into play, making sure those users are in place. Many people think, oh, OK, I'm going to put UDI back on the shelf uh, because, for example, the EU deadline, you know, was moved out a year. Uh, that is really a risky play. Some companies do the opposite of that. They want to keep their momentum in place, keep rolling. They don't want to lose people, <laughs> yeah. nutrition, you know, the knowledge base. And once they get into it and realize that there's lots that can be done in complying with the regulations, making sure that you meet the, the certification, and also in regard to UDI data, uh, you can collect data. Actually, we provide a platform. A lot of companies just load the data temporarily into our system and cleanse it, which is 80% of the effort loading and, and cleansing the data. And then knowing that later on, they'll just select it, push a button and submit you know, at, at some later date. So um, I, I recommend you to make use of the time. Yeah. 
No, you said it. You know, it always takes longer than you think it will. <laughs> I was in project management and that was like number one. You just put some buffer in there, start early. So that's great. I appreciate it, Gary. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. For those of you Love who've it. been listening, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. We've been powered by Greenlight Guru, the only medical device med tech lifecycle excellence platform that provides end-to-end traceability for your medical device development needs. Definitely check us out at greenlight.guru, www www.greenlight.guru. And we will see you next time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Just a few of the points I personally took away from this conversation were the Udemed requires nearly double the attributes as the US's good ID, but there are tools out there to make that transition much smoother. Number two, if you understand why this initiative took place for UDI, it becomes much easier to implement. The user of this product should be able to clearly and easily identify the device. And while there is complexity with manufacturing, you aren't the first one to go through this. It can be done. Third, there is an ultimate guide to UDI on the horizon. So definitely check out the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, reach out to Gary on LinkedIn. Let him know. Also, I'd personally love to hear you via email at etienne.nichols at greenlight.guru or look me up on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. You can learn about all that we do if you head over to www.greenlight.guru. We're the only MedTech Lifecycle Excellence platform out there. And on top of that, we've built both a community and an academy where you can go to join the conversation or learn more about the things that we discuss on this podcast. You can find those at community.greenlight.guru or academy.greenlight.guru. Next week, we'll be speaking with Mike Baca on the topic of playing the long game with your career as a med tech professional. It's one I'm looking forward to, so stay tuned for that. Finally, if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. It helps others find us. It also lets us know how we're doing. So thanks again. You're the best. The medical device industry is nothing if not unique. So we built software that works the same way. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management system designed by medical device professionals to meet the unique needs of medical device companies. Our cloud-based platform allows companies to bring safer products to market up to three times faster while reducing risk and lowering cost. Visit www.greenlight.guru today to request your free personalized demo of Greenlight Guru.